So good to be here, and uh, on behalf of uh, Sharon and myself, we just want to extend uh, a greeting to you, and uh, I particularly just want to uh, thank uh, Pastor Gary and Jane for their friendship, but also their hospitality. We've just been to their house for dinner, and uh, Jane can cook. <laughs> Gary tried to take some credit, I'm not sure what he did, but, <laughs> but it was fantastic. So we appreciate you guys so much, and, and I trust that... Uh, as your senior pastors, that I'm sure goes without saying that you love and appreciate them a lot too. So uh, can you encourage your pastors tonight, please? That would be good with a bit of this. That's great. Don't they look good after seven weeks of leave? Radiant. Just like the day they were married. Did, did you just celebrate an anniversary? Is that what I saw? Didn't I see a wedding photo? Oh. Didn't I? Okay, everyone. A date, Gary? 23rd. 23rd. May 23rd. Just uh, Gary just slipped that in there just very quietly. So, nah, fantastic. So, um, but it is good. It's so great that they've been able to have that break and uh, some time away. You know, uh, for Sharon and I, uh, we love spending time with pastors. We love spending time with leaders. We are in love with our church and we are in love with God's church. There's no doubt about that. But there is, and I say it to any time we have a leaders gathering, there's just something about getting together with what I would call the engine room of the church. We love our church dearly. Every person, those that come every week, those that come every now and then with Jesus, and uh, those that contribute and those that don't, uh, we love them all. They're all welcome in our church. However, when you get your engine room together, those that are a part of really contributing to the building of God's church, I don't know, there's just something special about it. Like you can have times like tonight where you can just worship it. You just go straight there. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know about your church, but sometimes on a Sunday morning we have a 9.30 service and um, I don't know, for, for pe- people think that's early. That's like, you know, for, for Gary, he's already done, you know, 10 kilometre run by, you know, 8 in the morning. So 9.30 is not early, but sometimes it's like that first song, like I just cannot turn around and look at the people because one, they're not there. Um, you have to, it's about song two, two and a half before I'm game enough to turn around. Oh yeah, they are here today. But sometimes that first song can be like, you know, um, you know, raising the dead. But when we get our leaders together, we just go straight there. You know what I mean? We don't need to warm them up. We don't need to crank them up. We just go, right, we're going to praise. We're going to worship. We're going to come around the word. And there's just this engagement. And so I think for that reason, I love being around leaders and I love being uh, around uh, those that are who are really leaning in, as Gary said, to building God's church because uh, at the end of the day, what on earth would we do with our time? What is, what is worth anything on this planet other than, you know, loving God and loving people and building God's church? Really, like, think about it. There's so many other things we could do that have no eternal value. And so coming together, and that's why nights like tonight are so important. So I'm glad you're here. And, uh, and I hope by the end of the night you feel that way too. All right. And if you don't, just lie to me and say, Josh, that was so good. All right. um, so, uh, but yeah, really glad to be here. Um, as, as Gary said... Uh, we also uh, have the role in our state with our movement and, you know, we're passionate about that as well because um, there's no such thing as my church, there's God's church. And uh, right across our state, there are, you know, within our tribe, if you like, and uh, the church is bigger than our tribe, who knows that? But in our tribe of churches that relate, God is doing some great things and we've got so much to shout out about, be proud about. I think like this year we've got about six new locations being planted across our state. So churches being planted where there currently is not a church. So, you know, uh, that's exciting. We've got two young guys uh, who are going to be church planting from scratch and so we're getting behind them and, and so there's lots of good things happening. We're slowly getting people back from interstate. There was that time when everyone left Adelaide and they went into state. I don't know why, but they're coming back. And so we've got a, a great young couple, youngish couple, our age couple, that's young, um, <laughs> moving back from Queensland to come and be our associate pastors. And they're arriving next week, John and Joe Benithan. And so we've got them back and we've got, uh, we've got David, a guy called David Hanalainen who's come back with the IC Church, ex-South Australian. So one by one, we're pegging them back and they're coming home because they know that at the end of the day, there's no better place to raise a family and, and build God's church than right here in our beautiful state of South Australia. 
So that's my parochial shout out. But I do want to say thank you to you and your church for your commitment to our movement and for the, for the buy-in, the lean-in, the contribution. Sometimes when we're off in our own church doing our thing, we, we sort of don't see the bigger picture. But you need to understand that your contribution to the bigger picture makes a difference. And, um, you know, pastors coming together regularly to be encouraged and some of the things that we're going to be working on this year that will help uh, the local churches grow and get healthy and stronger are really exciting. So... Uh, We look forward to ongoing partnership as the ACC. But anyway, I didn't come here for that advertisement tonight. Came here to share something with you. And hopefully you've got a pen. You won't need your paper because I came ready to go with paper. So Gary, if you want to pass one of those around, that would be wonderful. And that'll help you follow along tonight. Um, What I want to share with you tonight, I haven't, uh, and this being really truthful with you, it's it's a freshie. Um, you know, sometimes as pastors and leaders, we, we find ourselves speaking in a lot of environments and, and, and God's, uh, you know, speaks in seasons. And so sometimes God gives you a message and, and that message you'll use in different settings. But what I'm sharing with you tonight, uh, I haven't shared before. It's just some, some thoughts that I've got for us here tonight. Um, if it goes any good, maybe it will get used elsewhere. If it doesn't, then you're the lucky ones. <laughs> But um, in all seriousness, and Sharon can vouch for this, we've just come back from holidays too. Uh, Sharon and I have just had a wonderful two-week uh, break. And towards the end of the break, I was just talking about tonight, and I just felt like uh, some thoughts were coming to me, and I bounced them off Sharon because that's always a good idea. And, uh, and she was really supportive of, uh, I guess, what I felt like God was stirring in my heart for tonight. And so this is a bit of a different leadership night that I'm going to do tonight with you guys. Uh, in terms of, I'm not really preaching at you, I'm going to just talk with you. And now we're going to see what unfolds. Does that sound good? How about before we get into it, how about we just pray and commit this time to God. Lord, we thank you for this great opportunity we have, Lord, as leaders, as, uh, as people who are passionate about your church, to contribute and to give our lives in whatever way we can to the building of your church, to the advancement of your kingdom, to the saving of souls that are, that are desperately in need of you. God, we pray tonight that you would help us, you'd grow us, you would challenge us, stretch us. Whatever it is you need to do in us, we pray you'd do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, tag the person next to you and say, are you ready to grow? You have to add that last bit on, are you ready to grow? And then the person, the person, now go to your second choice, the person on the other side, are you ready to grow? Not go, grow. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. Leaders always grow first. Leaders always grow first. In other words, we do what we want our people to do. So when we're leading people and we're in a leadership uh, capacity, we have a desire that the people we're leading or the people that we're involved in ministry with, don't we have a desire to see them grow? Yeah? Yeah? Tick? Okay, so if that's the case, then as leaders... What we want to see happen in the people around us needs to happen in us first. I know that sounds simple, but I think it's important that we start from that point tonight, that leaders always do the growing first. Amen? And so then the question for me is, a very simple question, how do I position myself, therefore, to keep growing? How, as a leader, do I position myself to keep growing? Now, you may have your own answer to that, but I've got the microphone this evening, so I'm going to answer that question for you, Uh, and my answer to that question, and this is, tonight I am sharing with you from my own lens of leadership, all right? So I'm having a bit of a family chat with you, if you like. I'm having a conversation with what I actually do on a regular basis to ensure that I continue growing. It's not all I do but I believe it's an important part for all of us as leaders to do, and I hope it helps you tonight. My answer to that question, how, do I, how does Josh position himself to keep growing? By seeking feedback and asking questions. That's how I do it. You're like, well, Josh, I was expecting something way more spiritual than that. <laughs> Stay with me. By seeking feedback, in other words, stopping and having the opportunity to review Now, who knows that when you drive your car, you have a front windscreen and you have this thing called a rear view mirror. Which one's bigger? 
Which one's the bigger window? The one that looks at what? Where you're going. So I want you to understand the, 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 the balance of all this. Right? It's important that we always are a people of vision, that we have an idea and our eyes fixed on where we're going. However, in our cars, if we spend all of our time looking in the rear view mirror, who knows that we're going to end up in trouble? But So the rear view mirror is not designed to be something that we stare at completely, but it's there as a reference point to check and update ourselves on what's going on around us and behind us. Now, I would like to suggest that the same thing is appropriate in our lives, is that as leaders and in church life, we are people of vision. Who knows that, that vision stirs people? Vision excites people. Vision takes people who were once sort of walking in a circle and it has the, the ability to pick them up and put hope in them and to put such a stirring in them to do things that they never thought possible. That's the local church. And so our job as leaders is always about vision. However, if, if we don't understand that as a part of vision is also this thing called a rear view mirror or what I would like to call a, a review, then we're never going to learn from what we've been through that will help us grow and develop into the things that God's called us to in our future. Does that make sense? So stay with me. And so I call it feedback, I call it a review, but Sharon and I, as I said, we've just been on holidays and I'm sure your pastors have just done this too. Anytime we stop like that, it's a great opportunity for us to stop and have the conversations that maybe we don't have every day or every week. The conversations about, okay, personally, where are we going this year? What are the things for 2018 that Sharon and I recognise personally in our marriage or in our family that we need to work on? When we go on holidays, that's when we get the opportunity to do a little bit of that reviewing. And so I'm coming fresh out of holidays, probably fresh out of a zone of having an opportunity to stop and reflect too on where our church has been in the last couple of years to look at how I'm going, how Sharon's going. And so we've just come out of that time and that's why I want to talk to you about it tonight because what I recognise is that in the pace of life today and with everything that's going on, way too often we fail to stop and review. We fail to stop and review. But reviewing and having an understanding and seeking feedback on what has been is just as important as what is ahead. And I'll get to it in a moment and help you with that. And so tonight, I want to talk to you and ask you some questions. And they're going to be the questions that I ask myself. They are the statements that I put in front of myself as a a form of, how am I going? As a form of, am I still growing? Have I plateaued? Is there more you want to do, God? There are questions that I ask myself that are an attitude check of my heart. Have somewhere along the way, have have I drifted? God... You know, is this an opportunity just to recalibrate me? And, uh, you know, even since coming back from holidays, I'm going to really continue my thoughts on it uh, and and probably do something in the life of our church because the amount of people I've spoken to, uh, literally, uh, my barber goes to our church and I was sitting in the chair the other day and he says, how was the holiday, Josh? And and I told him that we went and did a 10-day holiday in Phuket and we never went to a shopping centre. All we did was go... From the beach to the pool, to the beach to the pool, to the beach to the pool, to the room, have an afternoon siesta, read a book, to the beach, have something. That, that was our holiday. Now, I come home, and there's some people here who know my mum, um, and my mum's horrified. She's just like, that is, that's not a holiday. I said, we didn't go to the shops, mum. She goes, what? No. She goes, I couldn't do that. Her, my dad, mum and dad have just been in Queensland for three weeks. Dad says she went to the shops every day. <laughs> like, not, not like the corner, like the Westfield. What is there that wasn't there the day before? Like, <laughs> so when, she, when, when we were telling her about the holiday, she goes, oh, I couldn't think of anything more boring. And my mum, there's no filter. She just says it. Right? And I was like, that's cool, mum, each to their own. But my barber was saying the same thing. He goes, Josh, I've never, listen, he says, I've never done a holiday where I just stop and relax. Every holiday I go on, it's go, 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 go. And then I'm back at work. And, it's, and I've been having this conversation in the last week as I've come back from holidays with a lot of people as they've said, how was your holiday? And they expect to hear this report of all this crazy stuff we did, but all we did was sit by a pool, sit by an incredibly beautiful beach, read books, go for the odd massage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's what we did. And they're just like, oh, did you get bored? I went, heck no, it was awesome. <laughs> but you see, the, 
with the season that Sharon and I had been in, we needed a holiday like that. We've, we've been to America, we've, we've done the other trips where it's go, go, go. But in this season, we knew we just needed R&R. Yeah. And it makes me realise, though, that in the pace of life, no matter what you do for a living, but in the pace of life, we can get caught up in always just what's in front of us, that we don't actually stop to go, how am I going? And so I want to share some questions with you tonight that help us to go, how am I going? And particularly around leadership and am I growing, have I stagnated and God, what is it that you want to do? But you can't just keep looking forward to do that. The way that we learn, right, and the way that we grow is by looking at where we've been, getting feedback on where we've been, learning lessons from where we've been and then using all of that to help us catapult forward. But there's power in questions and I think a lot of people fail to understand the power of asking quality questions. I believe that questions are critical to our growth. Reason being is that I believe that good questions have the potential to spark curiosity in us. Who knows that when your curiosity gets raised, it creates ideas. And who knows that when ideas start to get germinated as, as leaders and in teams, it leads to new opportunities. And so when it comes to our leadership and our personal growth, I believe questions are, are really powerful tools for us. I believe they can ignite, good questions can ignite hope in us. When someone asks the right question, a question that brings out faith in us, that brings out possibilities, that brings out authenticity, honesty, questions that don't allow us just to go yes, no, not surface questions, questions that actually allow us to dig deep into, into how we're going, deep into our hearts, deep into our relationship with God, they have the potential to actually spark a hope in us that will lead us into the future. You know, when I look at Scripture, particularly the New Testament and obviously Jesus' time uh, on earth, I'm amazed at how much Jesus masterfully used questions to teach vital spiritual truths. He, if, if you want to look at well, the greatest question ask, asker of all time, just ha- have a look at some of the questions Jesus asked. And I did that in my preparation. I'm not going to share them with you tonight because I just scratched the surface and found 135 questions that Jesus asked that brought out spiritual truth. He was a masterful question asker and he used questions to grow people and to catapult them forward. I think when we catch a hold of the right questions that we need to be asking ourselves as leaders, it can have the same spiritual impact on us. So tonight, the questions I ask myself or some of them might be statements that I make. Are you ready? We're just going to go through them and I'm going to share around them. Number one, am I willing to fail? thought about now these are in no particular order but I thought I'm going to put this one first because straight away some of you are like what what sort of a question is that (laughs) it's an important question am I willing to fail here's the deal have you noticed that not everything works (laughs) God's given each one of us however this incredible creativity and initiative but even within that Have you noticed that not everything that we put our hand to, not everything that we step out to as endeavours always works? Have you noticed that? Or maybe that's just my church. Obviously here everything works. Yeah, okay. You see, in 2012 at Hope Church, we were in the city then, and uh, we really wanted to sort of get something moving in the young adult and youth culture of our church. We had a really good generational church. We, at that point in time, uh, Hope was known as a church that had a lot of young families, right? And so kids everywhere, like we had, you know, we're not a huge church, but we had, man, all these, like, the amount of kids in our kids' ministry was just off the charts. We had a lot of young families. We had a lot of um, people in all ages, but we seemed to not be a church that was really young at that point. And so we came up with an idea to launch a Sunday night, and we called it Sundays at Five, the brochure and the flyer was so cool. It looked awesome. Why wouldn't people come? But the marketing was incredible. And so we put all our effort into this and we did everything we can. We, we put on the most amazing food. We'd have theme nights. So we did it just once a month to start with because we thought, you know, it's slow and steady and we'll just go once a month. And so we, one night we had, like, um, we had like sushi and we did karaoke. And, uh, and I got up to do my old Guns N' Roses song from my youth. And this guy who lives up here somewhere in the hills, I don't know where he is, but I'm going to find him. He got up and he grabbed the microphone while I was doing my song and he took over and the guy was like a rock and roller from way back, stole my thunder, <laughs> stole my karaoke song. That's not the issue tonight, but 
Other nights we would have, you know, we did a Mexican theme. And so we would put all this effort in. Can I be honest with you? Sunday nights at five failed. And after four or five months, we closed it down. Now, I had grown up in a, in a time and I'd grown up in environments where you don't close it down. You fake it till you make it. You just, you know what I mean? Like, you just keep going. Like, because that, as a leader, I can't be seen to have missed it. But I want to bring something to you tonight. I think it's time we get real and authentic in our leadership and realize that not everything works. And so we shouldn't be afraid of the word failure. We shouldn't be afraid of it because I believe it's, we have failures in our life and some of us might not like using that word, but I have to be honest, that Sunday night initiative, it didn't work for us. I can use every other word I want. I can spiritualize it. It failed. But we made a decision back then, and it was something I'd heard from Pastor Rick Warren, um, and we just made a decision then that we wouldn't hold on to things because of pride, that we wouldn't hold on to things because, well, how, will, how does that make me look as a leader? We just determined in that stage of our church that we were going to give some things a try and would give it time to work, but after a while, if it wasn't working and it was putting a, a dent in the resource of our church, and if my leaders were struggling and, and we, did, we couldn't pull it off, then... We would give it a go, and then if it didn't work, it didn't work, and we'd stop and we'd go again. Well, I can tell you, fast forward to 2017, 18, in our new building, we've launched Sunday night church. Some people must be thinking, oh, here he goes again. Didn't he not learn from last time? Well, I can say that after six months of doing Sunday night, guess what? It's still going, and it's growing, and it's gaining momentum. Again, it's not huge. Our Sunday morning is still our big service, but Sunday nights, we're building a Sunday night crowd now around people who can't get to church on a Sunday morning. And Sunday night, I feel like I've got a new church. I come to church Sunday morning and I preach, and I know all those. They've been with us for a long time. I come to church Sunday night and I'm preaching, and while I'm preaching, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> like, you think I'm joking? It's literally, apart from our team, it's a new church. How exciting. Why didn't that happen in 2012? I don't know. But here's the thing. If we were not willing to fail, we would never have been in the position to learn from that and get up and go again. All right? And so I believe, you may want to argue this with me, but we'll do that after. But I believe we can learn more from our failings than we can actually learn from our successes. And so I just think in the transparency and the, you know, we've got a generation who want what is real. Have you noticed that? The young people coming through, they're not adverse to church at all, but they are adverse to fake. They are craving realness and authenticity. They're actually happy for you as a pastor, as a leader, to preach the Word of God in its fullness and in its truth. They just want it to be real and authentic. And so as leaders, it's so important that we're modeling authenticity. And so the first question we've got to ask ourselves, am I willing to fail? Am I willing as a leader to try some things that might not work? Because I believe that even if they don't work, they have the potential, as you look through that rear view mirror, to grow you, to develop you, and cause your team to get stronger. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in strength. No, in weakness. So why are we so afraid of it? Man, I'm like, bring on the weakness, people. His power is made perfect. What? In weakness. So I'm not talking about feebleness. I'm just talking about in that, you know what, God, I need your strength. God, if you don't turn up, it ain't going to happen. That sort of weakness that it's like, God, I haven't got this covered, but you have. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about what? My weaknesses. It's okay to fail so that Christ's power may what? Rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. It's incredible. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. Anyone delight in insults? In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then through Christ I am strong. So don't be afraid of failing. Be afraid of not having a go. All right. So that's the first question I regularly ask myself. Have I become too scared? Have I become too comfortable? Am I risk adverse? And it's an important question I need to ask in my leadership because it's important that we don't become comfortable. It's important that we don't become risk adverse. We've got to continually be people of faith who are stepping out and saying, God, here's the reality. If it's, if it's something that I can handle, then why do I need God? 
as a leader, I've got to be stepping out in faith, with wisdom, but I've got to be stepping out in faith to a realm where it's like, God, only you can get us through this. Only you can bring us through to God be the glory. So am I willing to fail? Number two, what is a win? What is a win? Some of these questions are very basic, but they help me as a leader. So the question is, how do I know when I've had a win? In leadership, as a pastor, in our leadership teams, in our church, how do we know when we've kicked a goal? Who knows that if we aim at nothing, you'll hit it 100% of the time, all right? That is one target you'll always hit is when we aim at nothing. And what I find is a human condition for all of us is that we can very easily get busy in the activity of leadership, the activity of church life, the activity of work, the activity of... We can get busy in the activity and so we just get caught in the doing but we actually don't start from a place of understanding what the win is. I've got to be really honest, in the early part of our church, our teams didn't know what... I knew what the win was and I thought everyone else knew what the win was but they didn't. And I realized that I had teams of leaders around me who loved me, who love our church, who loved the, but they actually didn't know when we'd won or not. And so I'd be excited celebrating and they weren't celebrating with me. I'd be frustrated that they're not celebrating, but they didn't know. They couldn't see the win that I could see. And so we've been through a a season in our church of re-looking at how we do team and how we do leadership because it's important for every person, whether they serve in the car park, whether they serve in the kids' ministry, the cafe, whether they, uh, whether they um, you know, uh, are ushers on a Sunday and they pass out containers or communion, every single person who contributes in the life of Hope Church needs to know what the win is. The car park person is not there to park cars. The car park person is there to be the most incredible first impression that someone has the moment they turn up at Hope Church. You see, it's a change of mindset, but if we just say, hey, can you just go out there and make sure people park in the right spot, what's, what's the win? You know what the win is? The win is that when people after church around coffee say, oh man, this morning that guy in the car park, he was so helpful, you know, bought the umbrella, that's the win. That person got saved because they engaged, that's the win. And so what we have begun to do is we went through every department of our church, every team that serves, and we developed a one-pager on what, what the goal was, the mission, but the win. Because it's so important for all of us as leaders, leaders to know what the win Have you ever been on a team that never wins? I played uh, football, not as well as someone else in this room, that I'm not going to go there because as a child it was idol worship. <laughs> I have told him about this once upon a time and said you need to know that for me and John Toombs growing up, you were, anyway, like... So I didn't play as good as him, but I played suburban football and I played in this team that I'd been, I went to Brighton High School and then I played at Brighton Districts and Old Scholars and they moved from one league to the other and in moving leagues, we were a, we were, um, a club that had four teams and we were coming up against some teams, that, like we were just out of our league. And for two years, I'm tr- I tried to remember tonight, I'm pretty confident in two years we might have won one or two games and then the rest, we didn't just get beat, we got beat. I'm a pretty loyal character. I, I stick around and I'm normally the last one to move. And all my mates bailed out and they went to Flagstaff Hill Football Club. Finally, I left and I went to Flagstaff Hill Football Club and we had great success. But here's the thing, right? I'm not su- suggesting that everyone should bail out. What I'm, this is the point I'm trying to make is this. When you're on a team and for two years you don't win, it's not much fun. So imagine, though, if we are in our leadership, we've got this amazing thing called God's church and we've got all these people who want to contribute, but they don't know what the win is. They never know. They never get that feeling of the win. It's so important that we know what the win is and not just get busy in the activity. So you go, well, Josh, what do I do? It's actually, again, it's stopping and going and sitting and taking stock and going, okay, for for every area in the life of our church, for for the kids' ministry, what is the win? What is the win? What is the win? Luke 14, 28 says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
What is this talking about? It's talking to us about counting the cost. It's talking to us about preparation. It's talking about plan. It's talking about having the end in mind. And it's so important in our leadership, and I'm guilty of this because of my personality type. I get excited easy. And excitable leaders can love sharing new stuff, can love sharing vision, can love getting the people excited. But where that becomes detrimental over time is if there's no end in sight that has been mapped out. And so you get people excited, but after a while, you never land. And they're like, is this ever going to land? And so I uh, thank God that I've got good people around me and we've really developed to make sure that we do have the end mapped out, that we do know what the goal is because the reality is this, that it's so important and that's what the Scriptures talk. It's talking about the building of a tower, but it's the same thing. We need to always be looking at what is the win. Yeah. And what is the win? It's the end result. Yeah. So in a football team, what is the end result? 18 football players on one team are working together to what? To get one little ball through these sticks. That's the, the win is to get the ball through and get the goal. Is that not right? So in our leadership, we almost need to have that same conversation and that same, uh, same mindset that says, okay, what does it look like for the ball to go through? What does it look like for the ball to hit the back of the net, like in soccer? What does that look like in the kids' ministry? What does that look like at youth? What does that look On a Sunday, what is the win? Because here's the thing. Our leadership teams will get demotivated. They will, they will feel devalued. And then we wonder why they don't want to keep serving. It's not because they don't love God. It's not because they don't love his church. But they don't know what the win is. And when you don't experience a win, it's demotivating. And so it's really important to look at the end result. And so as leaders, we, we need to not just get excited about what we're pioneering. We need to get excited about what it looks like down the track. Articulate that. Communication. Articulate the win. Who knows this, that it doesn't matter who kicks the goal as long as the team wins. I was lucky I was the full forward. (laughs) My mates still to this day say, oh, Josh, we served it up to you on a silver platter. I said, yeah, but I still had to put it through the middle, mate. (laughs) The old footy banter never leaves you. But here's the reality. In our leadership teams, let's not worry about who kicks the goal. Let's just worry and, and well, not worry, let's just celebrate that the goal got kicked. Yeah, yeah. And that's such an important culture to build in our teams that we don't make it about, well, oh, I never got to kick the You know what? When that team stands on the dais at the end of the year winning the grand final, you, I, I don't think their fullback's whinging that he didn't kick a goal that year. Why? Because the team won. Yeah, yeah. The team won. Okay, next question. I'm just going to drill in a bit deeper and deeper here. Here's the next one. Am I still serving? Am I still serving? It's a great question to ask. Because there's no doubt that's how we all start. We all start with this desire to serve, to serve God, to love one another, to love people, to serve one another. But we need to understand it's not just how we start, it's how we need to continue and it's how we need to finish. So we don't start by serving then go, well, I've worked my way through the layers now. I've climbed the Christian or the church ladder. What is that ladder? <laughs> really intrigued by that. What, is, what ladder? The reality is, is that I start out serving and I regularly need to ask myself the question, am I, am I still serving? Because who knows that after 20 years, in my case, over 20 years of ministry experience, you can get to a point where you know some stuff. And, oh, well, I used to do that, now I've done that. And if you're not careful, if you don't continually ask yourself those questions, you can find that somewhere down the track. Well, I started out with a servant heart, but somewhere along the, the line I've drifted and, and now it's about me and now I get annoyed when people don't do what I want them to do and suddenly we find ourselves so distant from where we started. I want to suggest tonight that that servant heart that we started with is how we need to continue and it's how we need to finish. You know, on Monday, I was picking up some, some things for, um, we're putting a new stage at church and um, we're just getting the final sign-off on that and there was a few things we needed for the stage just to, to make it compliant. And so to help the team out, I said, look, let me go and pick it up. You guys keep working. I'll go and pick up what you need. And so I was going to a place down in Bowdoin-Brompton area that I've never been before and I'm not familiar with that area that well. 
And so when I left our building, I punched in the address. So I'm like, yep, cool, there it is on my maps, phone, in the car, off I go. As I got closer, I sort of glanced at it and I, and I, I was at the lights. Wasn't driving. I glanced at it when we were stationary. Gary used to be a police officer. Um, and I looked at it and I went, oh, yeah, I know. And I took my eyes off the map and I went in the direction that I thought I knew. Ten minutes later, when I should have been there in two minutes, I'm nowhere near where I was meant to be. You see, what had happened is I started out with a map. I started out with a mind. I started out committed to serving. But I got to a point where I thought, well, you know what? I know better. I go, I know where I'm going. I've got this. And all of a sudden, I thought I had it under control. And on Monday, I got lost. And guess what I, guess what I had to do? I had to pick it up. I had to go, all right, how about I just stick with this? I want to suggest tonight that it doesn't matter how long you've been in ministry, how long you've been leading, how much experience or inexperience you have, We've got to continually be a people who start out with a heart to serve, who continue with a heart to serve, and who finish with a heart to serve. You know what? It's so easy to get off track, isn't it? You can just be one degree off track, and it's like, oh, that's no big deal, Josh. I'm only a little bit off, but who knows that over a long period of time, like in the next few months, being one degree off, hey, that's no problem, but who knows that if I stay one degree off track year in, year out, I I end up being a long way out from where I'm meant to be. It creeps up on you, doesn't it? So it's not, a, it's not a problem in the short term, but that's why it's important that we ask questions like these because these are the questions that are going to get us back on track. These are the questions that are going to recalibrate our heart to the heart of God. These are the questions that are going to cause us to go, hang on, well, I, I didn't even notice, but I've strayed. God, I'm so sorry. Would you search my heart, God? Like David in Psalms, search my heart, O oh God, and if there's anything in there that needs to be sorted, would you sort it, God? But if we never stop, if we never stop to ask ourselves the questions, do we get 10 years down the track and then we scratch our head and go, oh, gee, how did I end up here? Mm. How did I end up here? But when it comes to our servant heart, can I encourage us? And that's, a, that's an area we never want to veer off track. It's always been about serving, and no matter how long we do this, no matter our title or our role, it will still always be about serving God and serving people. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. And listen, and continue to help them. It's not just about the start, but it's how we continue and it's how we finish. I have got two more questions for you. Got time for two more? Is that all right? I have got my timer on. I think I'm okay, but Gary, at any time, you can just throw something at me and I'll stop. Is that all right? Cool. Two more questions. Is this helping? Question that should be next on your list there is, am I letting limited resources limit me? Am I letting limited resources limit me? Maybe we could put it another way. Am I allowing the lack to be an excuse? Ah, well, if I had, if we had, we would. If, if, if. As I've mentioned earlier, I've been in a ministry capacity for over 20 years now. And there's one thing I've learned. I've learned a lot of things, but one thing for this exercise that I've learned, there never ever seems to be enough for everything that we want to do. Whether I've been the leader of the church or I've been a youth pastor in the church or been uh, whatever, just serving in any capacity, I've always just noticed that there's never actually ever been enough to do all that we want to do. Have you noticed that? And so the question I, as a pastor and as a leader and with my leaders, because we're in a time where we've taken a massive, said to Pastor Gary and Jane at dinner, I said, um, you know, and I shared it with my, I reminded my staff today, just in case they'd forgotten, that we have taken a big, bold, audacious, hairy step of faith as a church. And we have stretched, we were debt-free for eight years as a church. We're not debt-free anymore, praise Jesus. 
we bought a building worth three million dollars, well, worth more than, it was for sale for four and a half million. We paid three million for it to God be the glory. We're now in debt. Praise God. <laughs> but God's faithful. And so I, I spoke to my team today and, and I said, you know, sometimes it can feel like we, that, that, that we're not there, we don't have enough. It's not. It, God is providing each day and every week for us. It's just that we're not in the land of more than enough yeah. yet. But here's what I've learned. If we want to enter into the more of God, we've got to be diligent and good stewards of what we've got now. So what does that mean? That's not just, well, I need to be really wise. with. No, I've got to continue to take steps of faith. I love that I've got a board around me who last year was a lean year and we really tightened things up. But as we came into this, this year, one of my board members sat with me and said, Josh, we cannot go through this year dictated to by a budget. I went, praise Jesus, board member. Yes, saved. I said, you are right. Because that's, that's the temptation. Now, I've got wise people around me. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Some of you hear that $3 million and you freak out. We've got uh, two buildings that we own, so we have plenty of equity, uh, and it's right for our church. But for me, as a first-time senior pastor, that's a big deal. And for our church, it's a big deal, but God's being faithful. So, but when I hear that, I go, you know what? The answer to the more than enough is not just sitting there and trying to hold on to what we've got. We see the parable of the talents where we know what happens to, the, to those that go, well, this is what you've given me, God, I'm just going to preserve it. That guy never goes into more than enough. Never goes into abundance, never goes into provision. So there's got to be this balance of godly wisdom through prayer and faith to grow and to step out in what God's given you. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves, am I letting the limited resources limit me? Am I, have I stopped stepping out in faith? Have I stopped believing? Have I stopped using my creativity that God has given me? Have I stopped using my initiative and trying to find another way to get it done? Because sometimes it's not, well, if we're limited, it's not that we can't do it, but we've just got to find another way. We've got to do it differently. We've got to, we've got to use what God's given us and, and pull some heads together, two are better than one, and go, okay, this is the vision. How, how could we do that right now? How could we believe for that right now? How could that come about right now. So it's really important that we ask ourselves the question, am I allowing limited resources to limit me? Because we all know it's not how much you have that matters, it's what you do with what you have that matters. We know that Luke 16 talks about whoever can be trusted with the very little can also be trusted with much. So what are we talking about? This is a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship, it's using well and using with faith what God has given you to bring glory to his name, therefore he can entrust you with more. If we allow the limitation of resource to limit our vision, to limit our faith, to limit our creativity, to limit our innovation, I believe that the church should be the, the, the best innovators on the planet. The early, you think about the early church in terms of when it's art and, uh, and all, all things... Cre- the church was the, the hub of innovation. Now it's Apple and Facebook and... What about the church being the epicenter of innovation again? Well, if we allow our limit, the limited resources to limit us, we'll never do. But we've got to tap into who God's created us, how he's wired us, and begin to go, okay, God, we want to innovate for your glory. Leaders find a way. Leaders find a way. Next question is this one. Am I reproducing? Am I reproducing? It's all about creating an empowerment culture. Who knows that Ephesians 4.11 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does that talk about? Equip, empower. Empower your people for the work of ministry. And so it's about creating an empowering culture. I have a little bit of a rule. I don't know if rules are right. It's a culture with our staff where I say to my staff, I don't employ you to do a job. I employ you to build teams. All right? You think that's different. So my worship pastor is not employed to do worship. She's employed to build teams. My worship pastor probably worship leads once a month. Right? Now, in some churches, that worship leader might worship understand that there's different contexts, but in our context, that she leads once a month, and the, I would like her to lead every week, she's great, but then I'm cutting across a culture that I've said, I don't want you 
I haven't employed you to be the worship pastor and do the job. I've employed you to build teams. So what have I done? I've, I've said, Holly, your job is to empower people. Your job is to do yourself out of a job. That's what it means to empower. Imagine if everyone in the life of your church, no matter what they were doing, their sole aim was to have the per- someone, under, uh, someone around them or the next person, have them take over from what they're doing and be out of a role. Oh, well, what will I do? You'll find something to do. You'll find something to do. And, uh, and so the question I need to keep asking in my leadership is, am I empowering or am I just doing it all myself? That's really the question. Am I, and it, size is not a limitation to this. Size is not a factor. Oh, well, Josh, you might have, no, it's not about that. Because even if it's just one other person, are we empowering someone else to grow and develop them, sow into them, believe in them, show them how to do it, do ourselves out of a role? And so the question I'm continually asking is, am I reproducing? You know, there's a four, very simple four-step process that you've probably heard of. It's nothing new under the sun. A lot of uh, different pastors, a lot of leaders, a lot of writers use it. And it's an empowering model. And this is how it works in our church, is that it's four steps. Number one, I do, you watch. All right, so I want to empower someone to do something. Rather than just going, oh, cool, you want, to, you, you want to help with this? Great, there you go. Have fun. Thanks for helping. And we run that way and go, yeah, finally, someone wants to help in that area. And then two months later, they're out because they've just, they're like, it hasn't worked. And we're like, why didn't that work? Because we just gave him the keys and ran. Instead of, I do, you watch. Then I'm going to do it and you're going to help me do it. And then once we've done that and you've sort of caught up, then you're going to do it and I'm going to help you. And then the final step of the empowering process is, you're going to do it, now I'm going to watch. A simple four-step commitment of how, you go, how do I empower people, Josh? I, I, I keep telling people how awesome they are. That, keep doing that. But we actually need to have an empowering model that actually says, right, I'm going to show you how. Then I'm going to get you to help me do it. Then I'm going to help you do it. And then you're going to do it. And then you're going to repeat that process with someone else. Am I empowering? I know this is very practical, but they're really good questions to ask ourselves. Because when I talk around, when I speak to pastors around our movement, just our movement alone, I keep hearing there's a leadership vacuum. I keep hearing that we don't have enough leaders. Here's the last thing, here's something I've realised. Leaders don't grow on trees. You don't go to a supermarket to buy a leader. You, you grow leaders. You grow leaders. And that means taking a risk on some people. That means having a look at someone and going, man, they, they can't do it right now, but yeah, but if you work with them and you have that four-step empowering model, maybe in a year they can. Oh, a year? Do I have to wait that long? Empower. Here's the thing, you see, when we make that commitment to people, then when we do let them run, they run. But who knows that if you don't go through the process with, and we don't empower people correctly, but we just give them jobs to do, who knows that that comes back to you with interest at some point? Because in the end, they go, no, not for me, and it comes back, and it's back in your lap again. How do we avoid that? Empower people. Empower them. I say to our, we, we have something called the Hope Journey, which is for new people. They come to, and they hear about who we are as a church, and then we go straight into, in week two, we, we help them discover their spiritual gifts, how God's wired them, and then we talk about how they can use, discover their purpose to make a difference in someone else's life. And this is what we say to every person, and it's the ch- culture of our church, is that we do not need you to do a job in the church. No. See, the old model is, well, I'm in the church now, I guess I better do something. And first thing we say to them is, we don't need you to do a job, but we do need you to make a difference in someone's life. <laughs> it is. We don't need you to do a job, but we do need you to make a difference in someone's life. See, that's empowerment. When we empower people, they make a difference in people's life. When we, when we just get them to do jobs, they just do jobs. Last question. Am I willing? Am I willing? There's a few things there. Am I willing to be led? Well, Josh, I've been in this caper for a while now. Am I willing to be led? 
You know, I've got, I've got three, what I would call, overseers, external to Hope Church, respected ministries around our nation who have the ability to lead me. I ring them regularly, they ring me. They ask me, how's Sharon? One of them is Pastor Nick Resky, and he's a, he, he doesn't ask anything about church, probably doesn't care, but no, joking. You know what he cares about, though? He's like, Josh, how's your marriage? How's Sharon? How are you guys going? Are you okay? Have you had a holiday? Then I've got another guy in Melbourne called Pastor Shane Baxter, who's just, you know, he's like a, a general father, and he just stirs faith and vision in me, and, and, and I bounce stuff off him. I say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You see, I may be 44 and leading a church now and be a state leader, but there's something I've learned. I know nothing. <laughs> And the moment I stop being willing to be led, I'm in trouble. And we've got to be, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, we've got to be, continually be willing to be led, willing to receive feedback, willing to be challenged. Could I have the guitar player up? Is he still here or has he gone? Oh, he's there. Are you willing? to play the guitar. Sorry, you're in the zone. If you can just play, whatever you like, just play something. We're we're, we're about to turn this into a time of prayer. (laughs) In Exodus, Moses comes down off a mountain, having experienced the presence of God and the glory of God. And after a period of of just being in the wilderness and not hearing God and not knowing what the future was going to hold, God speaks to him on a mountain gives him the Ten Commandments, gives him the covenant that he wants to have, that God wants with his people, gives him the plans to build a temple, the tabernacle, a place where God's presence could reside. You see, Moses would go to a mountaintop and he would experience the glory of God. He'd come down and the people would see his face and it was like, whoa, he's been in the presence of God. But God gave him a blueprint to build a place where the people could come and experience God's presence and where the presence of God could reside. And after they deal with a small issue of the golden calf and some people who had decided to do things their way, who had got their one degree off track, once that was dealt with, it says there in Exodus 35-ish somewhere, it talks about those whose hearts had been stirred, sorry, those who were willing and whose hearts had been stirred began to bring offerings, began to bring goods for the building, for the work of the temple. And I'm just so taken back by that, that it says those who's, who were willing, those who wanted to, those who were still in love with, those who were passionate for God, not because they had to, but they wanted to, those who were willing. And it's interesting that they didn't say, hey, everyone must bring. It says, no, no, everyone whose heart had been stirred began to bring and began to contribute what? For the building of God's house. And I find a question that I need to continually ask myself and a, a leader, as leaders we need to ask ourselves, am I still willing? Am I still in love with Jesus? If all of this was to be gone tomorrow, if tomorrow Sharon and I handed over the, the leadership of our church and I went back to the bank, would I still love Jesus? Would I still be in church worshipping Jesus? Would I still do it? Or would I still read my Bible? Or am I just reading my Bible because I've got to talk? Because I've got to lead a Sunday school? Because I've got some... Or am I actually in love? Am I still willing? Has my heart been stirred? Because who knows that when you are in something for a period of time and the longer we're around each other and the longer we do this, sometimes we can get tired. Sometimes we can get weary and we start it out with good intentions. But we get to a place, and if we're honest with ourselves, we go, you know what? I'm only doing this because Pastor Gary didn't have anyone else to do it. Well, I really, you know, we walk around and we're dragging our feet and we're moping, we're whining, and oh, far out, I can't believe, the, you know, the youth, the youth. Youth get the blame for everything in my building, I love it. <laughs> Used to happen when I was a youth pastor, and now I get payback. And even if it's not them, it's like, the youth did it. Hey, Josh, I noticed that there's a whole youth. <laughs> but we can be like, oh, you know, they, look what they've done now. They've messed up that room and, 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 and we've just lost something. Everything's a chore now. Everything's difficult now. What used to be a joy, what used to be a passion, now is a chore and we're just going through the motions. 
And what I really felt on my heart tonight as a way to close this, I just wonder if you'd stand to your feet with me. And we're not going to sing, but just with the, the guitar playing, I just really felt God stir me for us just to go into a time of prayer and just cry out to him that he would stir our hearts afresh. Maybe you're here tonight, you go, Josh, I'm willing. Well, you know what? Join with us in in praying and, and believing that in this church, the leadership of this church, that there would be a stirring of hearts, that God would begin to stir hearts of people who aren't yet contributing, that there are people here on Sunday and it's their time to step up. Why don't we just begin to intercede for a while and begin to pray, God, would you stir our hearts again? Lord, would you put a willingness in us? We don't want to do things begrudgingly. We don't want to do it just because that's what we've always done. But we want to do it from a place of revelation, a place of passion, and a place of conviction. And I just believe tonight in this room, there are some of you here and you're going through the motions. I really felt that. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're a good person. You love, you love God. You love His church, but you're tired. You're a bit long in the tooth. And I just believe tonight that God is wanting to stir your heart afresh. He's wanting to stir something in your heart afresh. So would you just begin to reach out? Can we use our prayer language? And can we just tap into the presence of God here tonight? I just believe that there's going to be a a fresh breath of heaven. You know, as we were worshiping tonight, I was almost going to tap Gary. Keep praying. Keep praying. I was going to tap Gary and go, I can feel tangibly the presence of God in this room. I know that the Holy Spirit is here. He's wanting to revive, stir, and refresh hearts tonight. For some of you, you're just going to exhale and there's just going to be this big release that's going to take place. For some of you, you're carrying a burden. You're carrying a weight of tiredness. You're carrying a weight of jadedness. And I just believe tonight, it's not all going to happen in one moment, but tonight God wants to start a new momentum in you. He's wanting to recalibrate you. And that one degree that you've been off course, he just wants to bring you back into alignment tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift our prayer language. Stir our hearts tonight, God, we pray. Lord, we thank you for the leaders of this church. Lord, we thank you for every person who serves across the life of this church and and beyond. And God, we pray tonight, no matter where we're at, whether we're full of energy or just getting through, God, would you stir our hearts afresh tonight? Lord, we want to experience your presence. Lord, we don't want to be dragging our feet, but God, we want to be dancing with joy. Lord, you turn our mourning into dancing. And I pray tonight, God, that there would be a fresh infilling of your spirit, that there would be a fresh infilling of hope and joy and passion that only comes from you, God. It's not something we can manage manufacture. It can only come from you, God, and it can only come from your presence. And so, God, tonight we intercede for Infused Church, and we pray, God, that you'd be stirring hearts right across this church, that you'd stir the hearts of our leaders afresh. And, God, I pray that you would put within us, God, a willing heart. Lord, we want to worship you because we love you. We want to read your word because we love you, and we want to know more about you, not because we've got a message to deliver. God, I pray in this house, Lord, that you would stir willing hearts who want to build your house with passion in Jesus name thank you God we thank you God we thank you God we thank you God Lord I just pray winds of refreshing tonight winds of refreshing across your people tonight God right now in Jesus name Holy Spirit, winds of refreshing. Stir it up, God. Stir it up. Stir up. Stir it up in us, God. Oh, God, we don't want to go through the motions. Lord, we don't want to be ticking the boxes. We want to be encountering you, God, encountering your presence. Lord, we don't want to do jobs for the kingdom. Lord, we want to make a difference for the King. Lord, we want to make a difference in people's lives in Jesus' name. Oh, God, stir it afresh in us in Jesus' name. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Kurraba shamana maka. Sweet presence of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 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 Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you tonight for the incredible privilege it is 
to partner, to co-labor with you in the building of your church. God, I just pray in us tonight, if there be anything, just anything at all, God, that is just standing in the way, God, I pray tonight that we would be willing to surrender that to you. So we come before you afresh. Lord, we surrender our own desires, our own agendas. Lord, our own concepts. And we just want to bring them afresh to you, God. And we just want to submit ourselves to you, to your plans and to your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.